You are listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. If you want to read our podcast, all of our Your Daily Drive podcasts are written out for you, and so I have a full transcript on our website. Go to rickthomas.net.net, and you can find this podcast and the article. Someone just asked on our live chat feature, May I share your articles on Facebook? Well, that is a fantastic question, and the answer is always yes. We require all of our readers to share all of our content with 1,000 of their closest friends, and that would be just fantastic if you would do that. The more the merrier, because it helps us to get the word out. It helps us to impact more lives with the practical message of Jesus Christ and The person that was asking, I mean, thank you for asking. You don't have to, but I appreciate your humility. I appreciate your integrity that you would ask before you use our resources. But when it comes to sharing them on social media, you can do that, and that is fantastic. We do not not allow people or permit people to take our articles and put them on their own blogs. Uh, There's a process for that, and that you do have to ask. But as far as sharing is concerned, you're welcome to do that, and I'm so thankful that you do. I want to talk about this idea. I want to share with you one of the great mercies that comes to us as Christians. And let me say it like this. If you sin but choose not to get rid of it by repenting, there will be an adverse effect on your soul and relationships. Now, I think everybody knows that. If you cross the line, if you transgress, which is what I mean by sin, or as we teach our children, if you miss the mark, the idea of sin and the simple definition of sin is like an archer standing with a bow and arrow, and he shoots toward the target across the field, and he misses the target. The target is God's Word, and if you miss that, it is a transgression or a sin. Now, when you sin, if you choose to sin, and if you choose not to repent, to repent means to get rid of it, to throw it off, to throw it on Christ, actually. If you choose not to do that, it will have an adverse effect on your soul. It will mess you up inside. It will dull your conscience. It will harden you. It will cause all kinds of problems inside of you, and it will also affect your relationships adversely. But here's the mercy. Christians can accept the punishment of Christ for their transgressions, and that is fantastic news. No longer condemned. We are no longer under condemnation for freedom. God has set us free And so we can be free from the burden, we can be free from the shackles, we can be free from the weight of our sin, we can walk with a bounce in our step and joy in our heart because Christ was punished. He took on our punishment. Our sins were atoned on the cross. But here's the question, and this is what I want to deal with in this podcast. What about non-Christian children? What about non-Christian children, unbelieving children, who cannot repent? They cannot be free from their transgressions. They can't be free from their actions. 
Now, of course, what I'm going to share with you applies to any non-Christian, any unbeliever. But I want to talk specifically about parenting, about obedience, about punishment, and the problem when a child cannot repent because they do not know Jesus. And this problem that I am speaking of here is why you as the parent must help them to be free from the evil wages of their actions. I use the term evil wages because Paul says in 6.23 of Romans that the wages of sin is death, and without question, the wages of sin, the payment for sin, the punishment of sin, the weight of sin, it is eventually death, of course, but it is a it is a death in life as well because it weighs so heavy upon us. And so you have a child who does not know the Lord, does not know how to repent from their sins. How do you help them with this complicating problem in their lives? Let me share with you an illustration, something that happened to one of my children many years ago. When our daughter was a toddler, she took something that did not belong to her. To put it in Bible language, she was stealing. Our daughter stole something. It was a sin. Now, rather than me dealing with the problem at the moment, I asked her to return what she took. I planned to wait until another time to talk to her. I had no brilliant reason for waiting but just chose to do so. Now, as a parent, you have run into this problem before. Our children always sin at inconvenient times. When you're rushing out the door or you've got six other things that are standing right in front of you, beckoning for your time, and then your child has a meltdown or sins or in some way, and it's like, now? Seriously? Really? Are we doing this right now? Now, I'm not sure if that was the case back then when my daughter stole something, but I chose not to deal with it at that time. All right, let's move forward a little bit in the day. Later on during that same day, she was sitting in the foyer pouting because her sister and brother did not want to play the games that she wanted to play. Now, what was happening a pattern of sinfulness was forming inside of her. She was sinning earlier because she stole something and it was not dealt with. A little bit later, a few hours later, she was pouting in the foyer, so now there's another sin. It's kind of like in football, American football. When the player is down, the play is over, the whistle has blown, but another player jumps on the pile. It's called piling on. Well, she had one sin situated in her soul, and now another sin has come and piled on top of that sin. Lucia, my wife, was observing her behavior throughout the day, and she noticed how our daughter was becoming increasingly sinful in other ways, too. Wrong attitudes, wrong desires, wrong cravings were gathering, were collecting in her soul. It was a gathering storm. Though the outward manifestations of her sin varied from stealing to, to pouting to other things, it was evident how she had unresolvable internal turmoil. As these things continued, Lucia appealed to me to discipline our daughter. Lucia said it to me this way. She said, Rick, 
she's out of sorts and needs the means of discipline to help her realign her soul. She has sinned, and there's no way for her to get rid of it since she is not asking the Lord to help her. You see what Lucia was doing? You see what Lucia understood? Uh, See, all sin needs to be punished. But if you sin and there is no punishment, or if you don't access the punishment of Christ... That doesn't remove the sin, and the gathering storm continues to gather and collect in your soul, and and it causes a problem. Lucia was appealing to me to help our daughter for two reasons. One, sin was happening. It was measurable, it was objective, and there was no atonement, meaning there was no payment for her sin forthcoming. She was not a believer. She couldn't access this means of grace that God gives us to get rid of it, to throw our sin from us, to fling it on Christ. And so sin was happening and there was no payment, no atonement. And number two, our daughter was becoming more and more internally entangled by her actions. Here's the key idea. Unpaid for and undealt with sin will wreak havoc on any person's soul. I'm not sure if my daughter was a Christian at that time. I don't think so. I don't believe she was. If she was, she was not appropriating the grace of God that is given to all His children so that we can decisively deal with our sinfulness. If she was not a Christian, guess what? She had no means to deal with her sin, which means she could not experience release from her soul entanglements. Do you see the problem here? You see, as as I led with in this podcast, mercifully, Christians have the means of grace. When I talk, when I use the term means of grace, I'm talking about a vehicle. It's It's a means that takes you from point A to point B. To be able to repent Uh, You're in your sin, that's point A, and you have this means of grace, forgiveness, repentance. It's a vehicle that takes you to Christ. You have a means of grace that moves you from your transgression to freedom. My child had no way, had no means of grace from moving from transgression to freedom. And there was this There were multiple sins that were collecting in her soul. She couldn't experience release, and her soul was entangling itself, and it was getting worse as the day went on. Perhaps you have seen that in your children's lives. The way that we have dealt with it historically, especially when our children were younger and didn't understand the doctrine of repentance and were not believers and and couldn't actively repent, sometimes we would overlook sin, that's what we would do. We would just overlook some sin, and, and we would see where it would go. Because you don't want to nickel and dime your children all the time. Everything they do, you just you know, you, you ping them with it. And so we overlooked a lot of our children's actions. But then what will happen is that you'll see this accumulative effect of sin. It's no longer independent, isolated, episodic events, but it is a pattern in their life that is accumulating We could no longer overlook it. We had to deal with it because they needed help to receive freedom from their sin. Now I want to share with you the title of the podcast. I did not do that earlier because it might throw you off. 
but now I think you'll understand the point of the podcast. And so if you want to read this article on our website, it is 2,000 words, and here's the title. When your children are constipated, spiritually speaking, that's the title. When your children are constipated, spiritually speaking, do you understand what I'm saying here? The accumulative effect of sin in the soul is like spiritual constipation. And when your children get that way, they need help because they can't access Christ. Regardless of her relationship with God, the turmoil of ongoing and accumulative sinfulness had captured her with no means of escape, no means of repentance. Here's some scriptures that speak to this idea about our parental responsibility with our children and the problem with what was going on in Galatians 6. Paul said, brothers, if, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, the only people that are spiritual are, are Christians. We have the Spirit. And so you who are Christians should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In Romans 6.23, I mentioned earlier, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see what we have here? A caught person who can't escape the trap, caught in a transgression, and they are feeling the wages of sin. And then in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. So my daughter was caught. The wages of sin were bearing down on her. She was reaping corruption. There was a call on her parents to come alongside her. We couldn't overlook this. This is an obedience issue for all of you parents, for you weak parents and squeamish parents who, who have mercy run amok because you don't want to discipline your children. You are, you are complicating your children's lives because you won't do this. Think about it. Captured, caught in Galatians 6.1. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23. You reap what you sow, Galatians 6. Sin is real and active, and if left unattended, it will cause internal damage to the one sinning as well as those who are affected by their sinfulness. You could think of it this way. Sin is like an unalterable law. If you sin, there must be a payment, meaning there must be discipline for the sin, a means for removing it. If not, sin's cancer will thoroughly corrupt the sinner. You see, my daughter sinned early in the morning. From that point forward, she was out of sorts with no plan to repair the damage done to her soul. The sin was in her, and it was actively eating away at her. It was festering and growing. And because I did not come alongside her to serve her by making a payment for sin, meaning disciplining her, making that payment, she felt stuck and captured. Disciplinary action from me would have released her from the turmoil that she experienced the rest of the day. 
King David said it this way in Psalm 32. Listen, listen to what he said. You know the text. In Psalm 32, 1 through 4, he said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Again, my daughter wasn't a believer and she couldn't experience this. David went on to say, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to this from David. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Do you hear the wages of sin in his poetic language? He goes on, he finishes this passage, verse number four, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is what happens with unpaid for, undealt with sin. And my daughter was stuck and could not extricate herself from her transgressions. What I'm describing here is analogous to cutting your hand with a knife. It is real, it is objective, it needs immediate attention, or it will scab over, possibly become infected, maybe leave a scar. How many people do you know have sinned and decided to not deal with it? In such cases, their sin festers and and grows in time. It defiles them, as well as many of their friends and close acquaintances. The Hebrew writer thought about it this way in 1215. The Hebrew writer said that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled uh, when that root starts and it grows. Eventually it will grow into bitterness. It will spring up. It will cause trouble, and part of that trouble is that it will defile people. That's what happens when we don't deal with it. That is what was happening to my daughter. She was infected, you could say affected, by her deliberate choice to do wrong. And she was choosing to do nothing in response to the active force of sin that was inside of her. Of course, in her case, she couldn't do anything about it. She couldn't repent. She had no grace. Sin's power and its enslaving effect were we're not going to release her. Now, as a father, it was my job to come alongside her, to help her take care of her transgressions. Her sin needed a biblical response. It needed to be atoned, paid for, which is always through the means of punishment. Now, there were two options before us. Number one, the Father punished Christ for our sins. Therefore, we appropriate the gospel's power through repentance to be free. Number two, or we are punished for our sins if we choose not to accept God's gift of repentance that removes our sins. And so out of obedience to God, I had no choice but to discipline our daughter as an act of love to resolve sins build up and complications that were in her soul. After I disciplined her, I held her in my arms which is, I, I won't get into the discipline process in this podcast because of time, but when our children were much younger, there was a discipline process that we used to, to walk our children through their uh, transgressions to help them. But part of that was, I, after I disciplined them, I, I held her in my arms as we talked about what had been going on with her throughout the day. And my responsibilities as her father and the purpose of Jesus coming to the earth, coming to earth, of course, 
to make an atonement for sin. What happened to my daughter from that point forward? <laughs> from the point of the removal of her sin was terrific. After the payment, in this case discipline from her earthly father, guess what happened to her? She became remarkably huggy, happy, and actively engaging with our family. It was though her crime never happened. It was though it was dropped off in the depths of the sea. Her soul was accumulating chaos, which was affecting her, and it was affecting our family. We responded to her in a clear, precise bibliocentric way to remove her caughtness, according to Paul in Galatians 6. And then her soul, her life was reordered. That was, that was the three things that happened. One, her soul was accumulating chaos. Number two, we responded in clear, decisive action, bibliocentric action. Number four, her soul and life were reordered. The power of the gospel brings us from chaos to order. If we do not serve our children by being consistent in the discipline of them, we will be partially responsible for the ongoing and long-term effects of their sinfulness. If they are refusing or unable to release themselves from their sins through gospel-centered measures, keyword repentance, one of the most loving things we can do for them is to help them experience transgression release. This perspective is what the Lord did for us because of our inability to do it for ourselves. Like a father, he loved us and he made a payment. You, you read this idea in Ephesians 2. Paul wrote, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. This is what my daughter was doing. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. You see, we could not release ourselves from our sins, and so God did it for us. Until our children are born a second time, when they will be able to appropriate the punishment of Christ to their behaviors, there has to be a way for them to experience temporary freedom from the bad things that they are doing. Discipline, whether it's the punishment of Christ for our sins or our punishment for our transgressions, it has a soul-altering, soul-adjusting, soul-freeing effect on the sinner. I want to share with you nine positive outcomes or nine positive benefits when there is a punishment of a child's sin. Number one, there is a readjustment of their moral thermostat. I'm talking about their conscience. Their conscience is realigned, it's readjusted, which enables them to discern right from wrong. You see, if you don't if they are not free from their sin, it begins to layer your conscience. You start becoming dull or hardened, as Paul talked about in 1 Timothy 4.2. So it's kind of like cleaning the conscience. And so number one, there is this is a positive benefit. There's nine of them. There is a readjustment of their moral thermostat. Number two, they experience a foretaste of one aspect of the gospel. 
one aspect of the gospel is the wages of sin is death. They get to experience how that is removed. It is a foretaste of just that aspect of the gospel. Number three, they learn to submit to authority. Oh, how we need to learn to submit to authority. Number four, they learn the freeing effect of atonement. Number five, they become spiritually alert and alive rather than having their their senses dulled. Number six, they perceive the need for a Savior, someone else to pay for their sins. It's one of the biggest benefits, maybe the most often thing that our children talked about when it came to discipline. When they began to learn that that someone else paid for their sins, they kind of like that idea. And so by disciplining them, they, they begin to perceive the need for a Savior, someone else to pay for their sins. Number seven, they grow in gratitude for the Savior who paid for their sins. Number eight, they are out from under the weight of sin. And then finally, number nine, they experience a, a kind of freedom that, that only God can provide. Let me talk about this idea of spiritual constipation briefly. And again, if you want to read this article, it's titled, When Your Children Are Constipated, Spiritually Speaking. A person who experiences no release from their sin becomes spiritually constipated, meaning sin remains while they suffer the consequences of sin's accumulative effects. As Lucia put it, our daughter was spiritually out of sorts, she said. And the same is true for any believer who refuses to own or respond to their transgressions. Whenever we choose to be dishonest by covering up our sinfulness, we become spiritually disoriented, dull, and dysfunctional. That is what sin does. You could think about it this way. Christ was the standard because he was sinless. He was the only healthy, sane, pure and balanced person who ever lived. Don't you want to be the standard? Don't you want to model the standard, rather, to be healthy, sane, pure, and balanced? The rest of us are abnormal because of sin. The abnormal, uh, abnormality of sin. We're twisted. and We're corrupt. We're deceptive, fearful, depraved, guilty. Unresolved guilt from unconfessed and unrepented sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God while causing all kinds of adverse effects in our souls. And sadly, those who associate with us also become caught up and entangled by the chaos that is in our lives. Isn't that depressing? That's why the most releasing And freeing thing a person can do is to be honest about their true selves. To tell the truth sets the the soul on a course of freedom. Though it may be embarrassing to own the wrongs committed, it is through honest confession and repentance that spiritual cleansing comes. Now our hope is that our children come to this type of understanding of the gospel, so they will always be able to run to the cross for the inexpressible freedom that the Savior's full payment for sin provides. And as we have seen them in their later years, now they're past their toddler years, we have seen them doing this more frequently. The cross is the entrance to confession and forgiveness and repentance and full reconciliation to God and others. If they choose to embrace these cross gifts— 
They will be able to immediately and infinitely find pardon for all their sins. There will be no further payment required from them, and their souls will become like Jesus, the standard. Until then, one of the most effective ways we can serve them is by presenting the gospel to them through discipline. It's not a long-term cure, as you know, but it does bring immediate relief while pointing them to the ultimate solution for their wrongdoing. Let me wrap this up with a few quick questions, and if you want to read these questions, you're welcome to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this article, When Your Children Are Constipated, Spiritually Speaking. There's a video here, there's an infographic here, and here are a few questions for you to think about. Do you have friends who are living in sin while becoming more entangled by their transgressions? Number two, have you observed growing bitterness or other complications that have come due to their unresolved sin? Number three, are you willing to confront them in a spirit of love and truth which will help release them from their sin? Number four, have you observed a pattern of spiritual constipation in your children? What about your life? If so, do you know how to help them or... Or do you know how to find freedom? And then finally, question number five. I know I'm asking these somewhat rapidly, but again, you can read them on our website if you wish. How does your shepherding of your children provide a picture of the gospel to them? If you want to talk about this podcast, please come to our website. It would be a joy to chat. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.